Hi, I'm Carly Squires and welcome to Animals Are Calling, a brand new podcast from World Animal Protection. Each week I'll be joined by a panel of experts as we discuss the biggest issues affecting animals right now, how they affect people and the planet, and what we can all do to help make a difference. For this episode, I am joined by World Animal Protection's Gilbert Sape and James Royston to discuss the cruel global wildlife trade, how the G20 leaders can help following the recent summit, and what impact this trade can have on future global pandemics. Over the next decade, we can work together to ensure that wildlife live a wild life. James, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get onto the subject of the wildlife trade and the G20 summit, it would be great for our listeners to find out a little bit more about you. Uh, Both of you are joining us down the line. So Gilbert, let's start with you. Um, Where are you? What time is it? And what is it that you do for wild animal protection? Uh, My name is Gilbert Sape. I'm currently based in Bangkok in in Thailand, and it's uh, 15 to 7 p.m. my time. And yeah, I've been uh, with the organization World Under Protection for the last seven years. I'm the global head of campaign for wildlife net medicine. It is a campaign that aims to stop the use of wildlife in traditional medicines. And we will talk more about that in a while. James. Uh, hi, uh, thanks, Gilbert. And hi, everyone. Uh, it's really nice to be to be on. Uh, my name is James Royston. I'm uh, World Animal Protection's head of external affairs based in Catford in southeast London in the UK and my team is responsible for external affairs and and for working with governments in particular as well as international organizations like the the UN and its bodies um, to to progress our campaigns and to ask those governments to to change. This is like an example of how we are truly a worldwide organization. We've got morning, noon and night here right now um, on the podcast. First of all, I would be interested to know about what makes a wild animal wild we're talking about the wildlife trade but let's get a bit more specific about that what does a wild life look like for wild animals wild animals are animals adapted to and thriving in the wild Uh, they didn't go through the process of domestication such as dogs horses or chickens Uh, their behavior instincts and needs have evolved over thousands of years to a life that is complex and accustomed to natural habitat. Uh, Having said that, actually some animals have adapted to living near people's communities to take advantage of uh, food sources. And you can see this in Thailand often. You have uh, elephants going to communities um, to to look for food, but uh, yeah, in in their heart, you know, in their soul, uh, these elephants are still wild animals. Okay, so for wildlife then what would be the difference between being part of the wildlife trade and just living their life as wild animals good question i i think a lot of wild animals need to have space and they need to have freedom and not to be controlled by other species or or by humans in particular um i think if they are traded they're very often kept in cramped cages they're often transported very long distances um in in those cramped conditions um and to uh, habitats that may not be natural to them and very often are given much much less space um and ability to express their natural behaviors than than they would in the wild 
Okay, that's really interesting because you both spoke about two different ways in which animals can be mistreated as part of the wildlife trade. I would really like to know like in which ways wild animals are exploited because the, the term wildlife trade is so broad, but actually it's made up with different methods of cruelty. Could you dive into that for me, please? So um, wild animals are exploited in different ways, uh, one of which is through entertainment. Uh, so if you go to Thailand, for example, you will see elephants doing shows or you can ride them. Uh, you can see tigers in captivity in different venues. You can see monkeys as well. So this is like one set of animals used in entertainment. Oh, I must also mention dolphins, you know, because it's really a big uh, thriving industry in, in, in many uh, parts of the globe. And then you also have animals that are used for traditional medicines, uh, such as bears and tigers also, and lions. So uh, their parts and derivatives are used for different purposes, like a panacea. They, they believe it can cure cancer, um, it can cure asthma or whatever, skin diseases, name it. And they, there's always a wild animal that is used for that purpose. Uh, the wild animals are also exploited through fashion, you know, so you can see uh, crocodile skin, you know, being used as, as handbags. You can see uh, fur, uh, you know, being, um, being produced, being farmed, you know, and, and I should mention that uh, when we talk about exploitation, we always look at Asia or Africa as a place where they exploit wild animals, but actually the EU is one of the biggest producer of mink farm or mink fur, you know, and, and also fox uh, fur. So, yeah, it's, it's one of the biggest uh, producer of, 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 of this type of, uh, of fashion. And then, yeah, you also have um, wild animals used as pets, such as gray parrots, uh, big cats, which is very common in, 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 in the Middle East, you know, and other regions. So I think uh, wild animals are exploited in different ways in different regions. Um, yeah, sadly, that's a state of, of, of wild animals at the moment. Yeah, that's so interesting, Gilbert, because I think there is a preconceived idea that wildlife trade mainly occurs in Asia, particularly with COVID-19 um, recently being linked to wet markets. It's basically incorrect, that idea. As you've pointed out, it's a worldwide issue. There's also the idea of pets. So, um, animals being exported as pets, which is, I believe, like a very misunderstood part of the wildlife trade. Absolutely. That's a misconception, you know, that uh, exploitation and the trade is also happening in, in one particular region, but actually it's a global issue. Uh, as you can see, uh, you have animals taken from the wild in, in Africa, going to Asia, animals being taken from the wild in, in Latin America, for example, uh, jaguar, you know, being used in traditional medicine in Asia. But you also have fur farming existing uh, in, in big countries in Europe, you know, like Denmark, you know, or uh, I believe even Netherlands it exists. So yeah, it's, it's, it's everywhere, I would say. It's everywhere. Absolutely. One thing I was reading about, actually, that's really interesting is... Um, the millions of species of both plant and animal that are affected by the wildlife trade. James, can you give us some specific examples of animals and how they are treated badly? I know that pangolins are really badly hit by the wildlife trade. Yes, pangolins 
uh, endure some really awful treatment. Um, Gilbert may um, be able to give you some more more detail, but I know that it sadly involves them being boiled alive for their scales. Um, that there are there are many really atrocious practices which are carried out with um, with wild animals. Um, you will often get animals that are um, not properly stunned if they're being killed or having having uh, parts of them taken or used. Um, I know that bears in the extraction of their bile, for example, are uh, are treated abysmally, um, and and also the way that wildlife traders get their wildlife can often be very very cruel as well and in that i don't just mean that they cause immediate pain to uh to those animals but they may destroy a lot more habitat than they need to so for the sake of getting one sloth for example out of out of a tree which they may want to ship to a, a zoo or somewhere uh they will potentially cut down many trees and destroy the habitat of many wild creatures and I, and, and I think it's really important as well to to note there's a lot of things that we consider to be a foreign problem and we'll go on shortly I'm sure to talk about COVID-19 but there's a real understanding that that may have come from wet markets or wildlife markets but actually that doesn't exempt people who don't buy from from wet markets from from any kind of blame in the wildlife trade and people with so-called exotic pets or who who demand uh apparently luxurious goods like crocodile handbags or or fur coats or even uh different meats uh, are are playing their roles in in this trade know that at the time of recording this podcast we've just had the g20 summit which has been a focus for world animal protection could you tell us a little bit james about what the g20 summit is and why we're approaching them yes of course uh, so the g20 is 20 of the world's biggest economies 19 different countries plus the european union um, and they were brought together originally around the financial crisis and and they have stepped up at a few moments uh, in recent history to deal with global crises. They don't have any formal power. They're just a group of countries. They're just a group of particularly wealthy countries, um, but they are incredibly influential. And, and if they agree to do something, um, that makes a huge difference on a global scale. And they're very influential in, in forums that are truly global, like the United Nations. And last year seemed like one of those crises where the G20 needed to step up to deal with the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, it, it needed a global response to end the pandemic, or at least to get it under control, and it needed real coordination. And we also felt that it was a unique moment in human history where people were really thinking very big, and, th and there was this new and unprecedented problem that they needed to deal with in a way that we haven't dealt with crises before. And we believed, and still believe, that because the pandemic was very likely caused by the wildlife trade, and it was transmitted from wild animals to humans um, at some point during the trade, that ending the wildlife trade would be 
a key step towards preventing future pandemics. And we did see some progress last year. The G20 came out of 2020, um, calling for details of high-risk species and activities and for, for some of the key UN bodies to, to act on those. And we felt that and have felt that this year there would be an opportunity for, for further progress. Yeah, so essentially the wildlife trade, this multi-billion dollar industry, um, which is cruel to animals, actually affects humans too with pandemics. We've obviously touched upon COVID-19, which is current and happening right now. Um, so you would think it would be of high priority at the G20 summit. But unfortunately, um, despite we've gathered about one million signatures of support for um, ending the global wildlife trade and we didn't really, in fact, hear anything about that at the G20 summit. Gilbert and James, I'd no. be interested to hear both your opinions on that and your thoughts. Yeah, so we felt as well that this, this moment has really shown the world the links between human and animal health and the, the real effects that not prioritising animal protection, animal health and animal welfare can have upon upon humans and our health and our economy and our society and and we saw that in such a stark way last year where we were many of us subjected to lockdowns for for many months of the year and so we felt that many world leaders and many individuals who don't care about animals and for whom animal welfare is seen as a side issue might now take this issue seriously and yes, you're you're right. We've 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 seen a kind of disappointing lack of ambition, I think, from the from the G20 um, in that regard. And it, it may be that all is not lost, and it may well be that that we're still at an earlier stage in in global thinking than than we had thought, because many regions of the world are still now thinking about how do we deal with the pandemic now? How do we get it under control? Um, how do we vaccinate people, etc. So thinking about the next one and preparing or preventing the next one is is perhaps a thought process that, that that a lot of people still need to go through. Gilbert, do you have any thoughts yourself? Yeah, the outcome of the G20 is is quite disappointing, I would say. We were expecting a lot from them uh, because they are in a position to make a decision. They are in a position to take uh, a stand, you know, on, on this issue. The, the the issue of zoonosis, the whole issue of COVID, I think is just uh, a preview of what's going to happen in the future. But the G20, instead of looking at the source of the problem, looking at the, the root cause of the issue, it didn't address the the issue in a, in a comprehensive manner. I think the, 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 the focus is much more on on vaccine you know but not really looking at the issue of prevention and how we're going to avoid how we're going to stop how we're going to prevent the next pandemic i think uh the world the g20 focusing only on vaccine is very short-sighted it is very short-sighted because it means that you will just prepare yourself for another pandemic unless the g20 or any other groupings that have political power to make a difference in terms of like preventing the next pandemic by looking at the root cause, which is wildlife trade, I don't think we're going 
to avoid the, the next pandemic. I think the next pandemic is just around the corner, uh, waiting for the right opportunity to strike. Um, but unfortunately, we, we, we never learn our lesson. I mean, if you look at the data from the WHO or World Health Organization, there are 200 known zoonoses in the world. COVID is just one of those. But the focus is always on, on the vaccine. It's, it's always on improving the protocols, improving this and improving that, but really not looking at the deeper issue, which is wildlife trade. And I think, to be blunt about it, they failed us miserably you know, uh, in this summit. And I think, if, if I may, it might be helpful to talk a bit about what what was agreed at the at the G20 summit and 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 what that might mean uh, because I, w- we're talking quite a lot about the wildlife trade and and it has to be said that that this was not only not the focus but but wildlife was not mentioned in in the G20 communique and and at the end of a, a summit of, of the leaders they come away with a communique which is the sort of agreed text between all of them and and it it did touch on some really important issues for example, the climate emergency and, and, and this week's COP26 summit um, around taxes on multinationals. They did talk a bit about vaccines and the need to, to essentially fund uh, vaccination programs around the world. They talked about the global economy and, and development aid and, and so on. But actually, on a lot of these issues, they really struggled to, to, to reach agreement on, to, to reach the agreements they did. And part of that was that there were some real notable absences at this this summit so um china russia um japan and mexico um were all represented by more junior ministers and not their not their leaders and and that includes some of the real culprits for both the production and or, or exploitation of and consumption of wildlife and so i think without bringing all of those countries around the table we're not going to get proper global global agreement and th- there were some positives uh, that they mentioned one health so the relations between human and animal health for example um, and they mentioned antimicrobial resistance but they didn't uh, which which relates to human health outbreaks in, in other ways but on balance it, it was negative there was no mention of wildlife trade there was not enough emphasis on on pandemic prevention and we were disappointed so essentially james what you're saying there is like there was murmurings of something something is brewing under the surface um in regards to you know cancelling and stopping the global wildlife trade that is a huge mission that is a huge mission with a lot of money involved um and so i suppose it's not going to be an overnight or over a yearly success story it's going to take time and i suppose it's about weighing up how we can do this step by step yeah yeah that's right but I, I think there is reason to be optimistic, and there are there are signals that that some countries are going the right direction. I think it's important to say that some of the countries in the G20 uh, really have shown that they're willing to act on this, and we felt that the that Italy, for example, who held the presidency of the G20, they were hosting it and and chairing it, were very keen to to take action on this issue, but struggle to to reach consensus we've also seen some real domestic steps in in certain countries to to end the wildlife trade or end certain types of wildlife trade so despite having just mentioned china um that the chinese government did ban the consumption of wild animals for food 
and the South African government has is taking steps to end the um, the, the export of lion bones. And there are there are bans that are being considered or enacted, and we're we're seeing similar in Italy at the moment. So we do think that there is some some momentum. And there is a lot of work happening around, uh, among certain UN agencies on this as well. How do you feel about that, Gilbert? Do you agree? Yeah, I agree with James. And just to add to the list, also Vietnam uh, banned uh, wildlife for food consumption as a response to uh, COVID. And um, I think if there's uh, a positive uh, kind of like development as well, I think uh, people are more aware now on the link between wildlife trade and, and zoonosis. They know that uh, the danger of, of farming is, is, is there, it exists. And uh, I, I think, yeah, people are like, you know, ordinary folks, ordinary people are talking about, yeah, zoonosis. They're talking about COVID and, and how it started and how it originated. So I think, I think that's a positive development as well because we can use that knowledge uh, to, to build power and, and for the people to take action um, in, in the future. Uh, as I said, uh, I think there will be more challenges coming to us in relation to wildlife farming and zoonosis. For example, we have like 1 million people who signed the petition last year asking G20 to ban wildlife trade. That 1 million actually is a significant number. I don't think many organizations have managed to to, to gather like 1 million signatures. I think it was more than 1 million actually. And so that in itself is a sign that there's a massive awareness on the issue and, and, and willingness to support our call to end the wildlife trade. So I, I think it is a positive sign. I was just thinking then, actually, as you were speaking, that um, when you're trying to create large change, um, you do have to take note of the negatives, but also it, you have to focus on the positives because in our lifetimes, we've seen huge changes happen and evolve over time. And I was just thinking, actually, you mentioned earlier about dolphins. Well, within my lifetime, 30 plus years, we've gone from flipper and you know free willy and these kind of films that promote um taking animals into captivity to blackfish which was documentary that explored the cruelty that happens in these sea parks to to animals thinking forward and thinking positively what do we do next there's a real growing awareness among members of the public not just on the wildlife trade but on on certain issues of how we as individuals can act but also what potentially the limits of our individual action might might be so a, a kind of comparison and and one that i think is is relevant this week with the cop 26 summit being underway is around meat consumption and and people very often in the past have kind of thought well i'm in an area that isn't hugely affected by climate change it's again it's a distant problem um, I think that most people have become more and more aware of, of the climate emergency and the need to deal with it. And people have realized that one way or more and more people are realizing that one way that you can minimize your impact is by by changing your your diet and, and, and by improving your eating habits. However, even if that happens on, on a huge scale, 
that's probably not enough. And, and, and people need to kind of come together to be demanding that their governments take further action to to use the power that they have to control things. And I think for me, this conversation around the wildlife trade and preventing pandemics has real parallels there where we can build alliances and and, and build networks and use people power to to bring about change with with governments and and with international forums and i think we bringing that back to so what for us and and what are our next steps i mean there is a delegation from from world animal protection who are going to cop 26 i'm traveling to glasgow tomorrow for for that i I think we we will be meeting with a lot of like-minded organizations as well as organizations that may not be so obviously connected to to our goals that that operate in in different worlds they're not focused on animal welfare and so on but with whom we think we have a lot in common and and we we will be building networks we'll be continuing to work with our existing allies and and working with with new allies to to grow our global influence and um and to to link the arguments we're making to some of the big global conversations that are that are happening and I, i think there are questions that need to be asked about whether the g20 is the right target i i i think where we may be seeing its limits at the moment. Um, it's not hugely united, but it will definitely remain influential. So I, I wouldn't rule this out yet, but I think we do need to consider a lot of other um, entry points, including the UN climate talks. What you said as well about working with allies, because we do work with other organisations who are like-minded um, and equally um, as a unit, we learn from our mistakes or we think about what we've done and how we can get better. I think that's a really good mantra for, for myself and all the listeners as well, is we might believe we might be doing something right or wrong, um, but there's always avenues for education and learning how you can do small things to help. Uh, Gilbert, it might be worth you touching on what it is we're working for. Like, what would a perfect future look like for wildlife? Oh, that's an interesting point. Well, they should be kept in the wild. I think that should be their future, definitely. Um, they should not be traded. They should not be kept in small cages. They should not be exploited for fashion, for traditional medicine, and for entertainment. Uh, there are alternatives, definitely. There are alternatives. I think it's important for us to recognize that alternatives exist. You can watch uh, wildlife from afar and not ride them, you know, like, like elephants. Uh, or pet a lion or a tiger in, in an entertainment venue. You can enjoy them, you know, from, 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 uh, from afar. Actually, I was just in Chiang Mai last two weeks, and I went to, to, to a genuine sanctuary, and I saw elephants in the wild. It was the happiest day of my, my stay, you know, in, in Chiang Mai, because I don't know if you're aware, but elephants in the wild tend to make a lot of noise. Like, they really they shout, I think, because they're, they're joyful, you know. That is something that you won't hear from elephants in 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 venues where they are used for entertainment. In the, the elephants in venues for entertainment are very quiet. You won't hear a noise because they're afraid of uh, being hurt. You know because they there's an instrument that they use to control them, which has a sharp edge. And so so yeah, I mean they they they, they were they were happy, and I was thinking that should be. The future of wildlife, you know, they should be kept in the wild where they can shout, you know, they can do whatever they want to do. They can bathe under the sun and, you know, and just 
and just be a wild animal because they are a wild animal. And, and I think that should be the future of, of, of wild, wildlife. They should not be traded. They should be protected. And also their habitat should be, should be protected as well. Yes. Well, I was thinking about this earlier ahead of the podcast, how this seems like such an obvious point, but wildlife are happiest in the wild, which seems we've touched about on this a little bit already, but it might seem insignificant moving an elephant out of its wild habitat or, I don't know, like a parrot out of its habitat. That has a huge effect on the animal. And we've talked a little bit in previous podcast about sentience and how animals have feelings we've talked about in this podcast how we need to tackle um the wildlife trade on a bigger scale which is about approaching those in power that can make change about uniting um different countries across the globe and uniting um in favor of animals however there'll be people like me the listeners that want to know what things we can do on a potentially a smaller scale to help i think one of the first things I would say is if you if you care about this issue, let people know, and and particularly your elected representatives or your your representatives in in government, and let them know what you think they can they can do about it. And we're very often asking our supporters to to help help make noise, um, and we'll certainly be continuing to, to do that at, at relevant moments. I, I think it's also worth saying. And and this was one of the things I was thinking when you're talking about what does a, an ideal future look like. Well, from a from a selfish perspective, I think an ideal future looks like no lockdowns and 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 healthier people with secure jobs, and actually raising awareness of the link between you being able to live your life normally and animals being traded without any controls. I I think is 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 critical. And, you know, that can extend to, you know, how, how can, you know, if I, I would hope um, that none of you are, are currently, you know, consuming wild animals or taking part in trophy hunts uh, or, or buying fur, but raising awareness of, of the links and the way that people, people can, um, can change their own behavior uh, in order to to minimise that demand can really help, and and I think there are alternatives. Gilbert's talked about some of the alternatives to to traditional medicine, for example. Uh, there are alternatives as well to to some of the sort of petting and and, and zoo visiting uh, that that creates demand in, in in some parts of the world as well. And Gilbert, do you have any suggestions? Well, James mentioned the practical ways on on how we can contribute to this issue, but I think what I want to say is that. Uh, as individual, I think we have to recognize that we have power. Sometimes we underestimate our capacity to make a difference. And I think if we just reach out to other people around us, uh, you will be surprised that you share a lot of, you know, uh, commonality uh, in terms of like wanting to end the trade as well, wanting to see wild animals uh, in the wild. And so I think we shouldn't underestimate that power to uh, to make a, a change, uh, to put pressure on on our officials, you know, to put pressure on companies that profit from from the expo- exploitation of wildlife, and of course, at the end of the day, uh, it also boils down to our individual choices as 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 a consumer. You know, if you go to Thailand, then be aware that uh, one should not ride an elephant, especially now today. It's actually the official day of Thailand reopening its borders, and they're expecting like I think. 
at least uh, 60,000 tourists arriving today. And I was thinking, oh my God, I hope the, the venues won't won't open soon because the, all these venues have closed down during the pandemic, you know. And I I wonder if, if, if these tourists would be more responsible this time and would stay away from the venues that exploit animals, you know, like elephants and tigers. And, uh, and I think we learned a lesson or two from, uh, from COVID. And I think that the tourists are coming into Thailand are more aware of the situation. And I'm keeping my fingers crossed that they would stop going to these venues and 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 would be responsible traveler and by being responsible it's it's you know it's uh, watching um wildlife from uh from the from afar in their natural habitat just like what i experienced two weeks ago in Chiang Mai. so yeah well absolutely gilbert i think my rule of thumb is if you can go anywhere near a wild animal then don't bother going because whatever they say, potentially there could be some serious cruelty going on behind the scenes that you're not seeing. We're nearly out of time. So before we finish, I would like to ask you both a couple of quick fire questions, if that's okay. Let's start off with James. Have you got a favorite or funny experience you've had with an animal? Oh, a funny experience I've had with an animal. That's going to be tricky. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. You really have put me on the spot here. <laughs> I, 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 I want to hear you first. What I, I, think. <laughs> I adopted the blind cat uh, during the peak of the pandemic because there's a local shelter here and they don't have enough volunteers to take care of the cat. So I adopted one blind cat. And uh, I woke up one evening, and the cat was sitting on my night desk and staring at me. You know? So that was funny and freaky at the same time. So I was like, I thought you were blind. you know? No, but seriously, she's blind. She's blind. <laughs> what, yeah, what, she's is blind. Your, what is your cat called? Your adopted cat? Well, her name was Mariah. Like Mariah Curry, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Has she got a voice like Mariah? Uh, no. Actually, she doesn't make a lot of noise being blind, you know, so. So, James, over to you. If you could be any animal for a day, which animal would you go for? Oh, good question. It would be something that flies. I think it would be maybe an, an albatross, because I know they can fly a really, really long way. I, I'd quite like that. I'd like to get some views that I that I can't have at the moment. And that probably, for me, relates to the last question. I think, uh, having grown up on the south coast of of England, most of the most of the animals that I came into contact with were seagulls. And all of the anecdotes I could think of were seagulls. I've I've definitely been um, uh, dropped on by by a, a seagull on more than one occasion. Uh, and my my brother-in-law also had a an ice cream snatched from from his hand <laughs> by a a seagull where you could then see the shape of the ice cream through its neck afterwards uh, not for long <laughs> finally james why do you love what you do at world animal protection oh uh, so many reasons we we are a relatively big charity but actually it feels like a really small team or a really uh, a really um familial team uh 
we're, we're based around the world. We, we've many different country offices. It's great to work with so many people in, in so many different parts of the world and, and to have so many diverse views. And I feel like I'm always learning something. I, I'm, my background is not in animal welfare. Um, and we've got such a such an incredible um, depth of knowledge in this organization. And and every week there's a new there's a new issue that we're working on. And, and we are part of, of a global conversation. And, and I really hope that we, we stay that way. That's brilliant. Honestly, Gilbert and James, you have both been incredible. Thank you so much for joining us on Animals Are Calling. Thank Thank you you very much, much, everyone. Have a good day. Thank you. You too. Bye. That's it for episode three. Many thanks to my guests, Gilbert Sape and James Royston. Joining me next week will be Wild Animal Protection's Jacqueline Mills and Roberto Vietto to discuss how the biggest issues affecting animals are interconnected and how every human action has a consequence. Also, a reminder, you can get in touch with us with any questions or comments on our social channels. Just search for Wild Animal Protection on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Also, please subscribe to the podcast so that you never miss an episode. Animals Are Calling is a podcast from World Animal Protection. It's produced and mixed by Johnny Bunyan for Pardon Our French. The executive producer is Emmy Kondo. Thank you so much for listening.